Um, what I would like to do is I questions came up last week that I want to deal with. I started getting grandiose images of doing a 55 minute shear that would cover everything. And then I realized that that was ridiculous. That was like, you know, Hashkama davening. And so instead I thought it'd be better for us to take topic by topic in a, uh, in, in a sequence that makes sense to try to figure out. And the way I'm looking at it, so the way I'm presenting it is um, obstacles to modern day Eruvin. In other words, we're going from what we've been dealing with the whole time in this year, which is the theoretical, the methodological, uh, the conceptual to the practical. But of course, you can't divorce those. They're all related. Um, and I want to use modern day Eruvin as a way of kind of jumping backwards. Now, what I mean by that is as follows. If somebody says um, that, you know, I don't use this Eruv, that can be for a number of reasons. Um, the most uh, commonly uh, offended reason, meaning when somebody hears that, they get upset, is that the person saying it is claiming that whoever the authority is over this Eruv is somebody that I don't think knows anything, right? Or I don't think is very careful and doesn't observe. And by the way, I've seen Eruvin like that. I have seen Eruvin that were not checked regularly, Eruvin that were checked, but didn't matter if they were good or not. They were left up, and, and I've seen that before. So there are Eruvin in the world that shouldn't be relied on because there's nobody reliable behind them. Um, but I'm not that that's one possibility. But I'm not talking about that. I'm I'm the, the scenario I'd like to draw is somebody who lives in a particular place, be it LA, be it in Queens, be it wherever it might be, and doesn't carry on Shabbat outside of their house and has full trust in the authority that oversees the Eruv, eats at their house, may even be that person themselves, but doesn't use the Eruv for one of any number of reasons that don't have to do with trust, but have to do with approaches. Okay, now, there, there is one school out there, I won't say who, that will not promote or help or support or use an Eruv because they think that educationally it's a bad idea. Now that may be a very big halachic problem to take that position. And there is a statement in the Yushalm that kol she'ino modebe Eruv maga'o metamebiyayin or oser somebody who does not accept the principle of an Eruv may be considered like a bad person and outside because they're not, they're not accepting the the rule system of the rabbis. Um, but I'm not talking about people who perhaps with good intentions, but I believe wrongheadedly are opposed to Eruvin in principle. Um, I'm talking about different issues that come up and there's two main issues that come up and there's a lot of tributaries to them. One of them is that generally we, although we'll see something different at the end of year today, Generally, our approach is you cannot make an Eruv in a Rishut Rabim, right? So we have to define what that means. Um, and an Eruv can only really work in an area which, from the Torah's perspective, there's no prohibition to carry there. And that makes all the sense in the world. Because since it's the rabbis who came up with this fix, 
they can only employ that fix where they are the ones who made up the prohibition. In other words, the rabbis say, look, in this area, area X, the Torah doesn't speak about area X. Area X doesn't exist as far as the Torah is concerned. We say you can't carry there on Shabbat because area X looks too much like a Rishut Rabim. So we forbid it. But we who forbade it also can tell you a fix. And the fix is put the bread in somebody's house and da 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 right? So, but they can't put that fix somewhere where the Torah forbade carrying. And we'll see a couple examples of that. So a person could turn around and say, well, I'm not going to use this Eruv because I believe that this Eruv encompasses a Rishut Rabim. And that would mean that I have a different definition of Rishut Rabim than you do. Now, to make it an even finer line, I don't delegitimize your approach to Rishut Rabim. I just have a different one. As opposed to saying you're wrong and you're Machal Shabbos and da 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 da, instead of that, saying, look, you've got your definition of Rishut Rabim and you have lots of authorities to rely on. I'm relying on other authorities for whatever reason, and therefore I won't carry here. But that means that I will not only say nothing to you about carrying, but if you come to my house, Shabbos day and bring a bottle of wine, I'll open it and drink it. In other words, I'm not saying caring is wrong, just I won't do it because of my definition. Or maybe I'll say, I won't open the wine and I won't drink it, but I'm also going to keep the wine and after, and after Shabbat I'll open it up or I'll invite you on next Shabbat and we'll have the wine together. Right? In other words, I'm not going to see it as a bad act. This is one that I personally would avoid. So we have to see what the, what the reasons are. There's another whole area that I touched on last week a little bit that I'm going to leave for next week which is who's in your A-roof and whether, whose presence makes a difference. And that's another very big problem. Okay, so let's start with the sources that we have. Um, and here's the source sheet. And uh, believe it or not, even though Eruvin is all Durabanan, I found a Pasuk because I can't start without a Pasuk. All right, but this is a Pasuk that we're going to come back to later on because it would make no sense out of context and it's only when it's brought in. Okay, we're going to start with a Tosefta, as you can see, source two. Now, just a very quick word. The Tosefta, we've seen Tosefta Ot um, numerous times over the course of, uh, of our shear that's been going on now for, for about seven months. Um, and about eight, eight months. Um, and the Tosefta literally means the add-on, and it is a collection of halachot that deliberately parallels the Mishnah. And it was compiled during the generation, evidently, right after Rabbi Yehuda Nasi. The, the Gemara tells us that Rabbi Chia was the official overseer of the Tosefta. Rabbi Chia was Rabbi Yehuda Nasi's prized student. And so what the Tosefta is, is it's kind of the first line of Breitot. Remember, Breitot were halachot that were not accepted into the Mishnah. So the Tosefta is sort of the first line of Breitot and Rabbi Chia, or if he's the one who organized it, organized it following the order of the Mishnah. And so therefore, it's in the same six orders, Rai Moed, Nashim, Ezek, and Kojim Tarot, same Masechtot, Brachot, Shabbat, Eruvin, etc. Brachot, Peah, Dmai, etc. Shabbat, Eruvin, Psachim, Shkolim, etc. Right, in the same order. And it's organized the same way. And so therefore, the first comment in the Tosefta in Kiddushin will be, Heishani, Kenet, Peshalosh, Drachim. And then it'll go into much more detail than the one we have in our Mishnah. Okay, 
So the opening of Masachat Shabbat, because remember the first Mishnah in Shabbat is about caring. And then the Mishnah kind of steps back and says, okay, we put caring first, because caring had to be first. We talked about Lawai last week. Now we're going to get into the sequential order. What are things you don't do Friday afternoon? What are things you don't do Friday late afternoon? And then we go and move that through that. But caring is first. So the Tosefta caring is also first. But the Tosefta gives us some definitions that the Mishnah didn't give us. To remind you, I'm not using the Mishnah in front of us, but to remind you, the first Mishnah is uh, presented casuistically, like a case. And it says that, um, let's say that you've got the wealthy man in the house and the poor man outside the house. So if the wealthy man picks something up, puts it outside and puts it into the hands of the poor man, or reaches his hand out and picks it up from the poor man and brings it inside, then he's chayav and the poor man is patur. And then if the poor man picks something up, puts it into the hands of the balabite, or picks something up from him and takes it out, he's chayav. And then it goes into what if they each do half of it? You might remember that Mishnah. The Tosefta pre presents something uh, much more formulaic, which is as follows. There are four domains regarding Shabbat. By the way, this is not true in other areas of halacha. We've talked about this a number of times. In Nezikin, there's Rishut HaYachid and Rishut HaRabim. That's it. When it comes to damages, there's either private property or public property. Private property, there's three different kinds of private properties. There's the private property of the damagee, the victim. You came into my backyard and did something. There's the Rishut HaYachid of the damager, my animal went into your backyard and your ox killed my animal. And then there is a Rashuta Mukhadat Lishnehem, which is where you and I both own a Rashuta Yachid and one of us damages the other. But there's just Rashuta Yachid Rashuta Rabim. When it comes to Tuma Vitahara, there's Rashuta Yachid Rashuta Rabim. When it comes to Shabbat, there are four. What are they? Rashuta Yachid, Rashuta Rabim. And it doesn't tell us what the other two are. We're going to get to them. Ezo Rishutayachid. So, what's the definition of Rishutayachid? Private area. Notice that the definitions here are not about ownership, they're about boundaries. Charit Shamok Asara, a ditch which is 10 Tvachim deep, 30 inches deep, we'll call it. Barochav Arba'a, and is four Tvachim wide, we'll call it about a foot wide. Vachain Gader Shagavo Asara, Barochav Arba'a, same thing with a fence that high. Zui gimura. So that's total reshutayachid. Not what's inside the fence, the fence itself. Okay, so important to note. Ezohi reshutarabim, and that's the part I care about. We'll see why. Sratya, which is a street, uplatya, which is like a plaza. Umavuotamafulashin. Remember last week I described the urban setting? So a mavui, which is a side street. In modern Hebrew, it's an alley, but it's a side street that goes from Main Street to Main Street. Picture sort of like um, Weatherly that goes from Olympic to Pico, right? That's an example, or uh, um, Lapeer, who knows? It goes from Olympic to Pico. That's a side, small street, but it goes from Main Street to Main Street. Okay, Mifulash means it goes all the way through, not a cul-de-sac. So now, that means that that is a Rishut Rabim, according to this. Okay? Zui Rishut Rabim Gimura. That is a full Rishut Rabim. Good. Skip Tibet. Aval Hayam. 
yam meaning in the sea itself, the habikah, and a valley, an empty valley, hakarmelit, which we're not sure what that is at this point, vaistivanit vaiskupa. Now, istivanit seems to be the area in front of stores. And iskupa seems to also be like a porch in front of a building. Now, remember, we start out by saying there's four, and then they listed two. So now in Halakha Bet, they're saying, well, we've got areas that are neither Rishut Echid or Rishut Rabim. So, you're not allowed to carry there, but if you do, you're not, you're not Chayav, because these are areas the Torah doesn't recognize as existing. As far as the Torah is concerned, there's only two areas when it comes to Shabbat a totally private fenced-in area, and a totally wide open public area. And anything that's like a side yard, um, something of that sort, Torah just doesn't think about it, doesn't talk about it, right? And um, good. Now, the last part of this, which is the part that's most critical for us, that's, that's highlighted, chatzer shel rabim, a, a multi-owned courtyard, that's what we talked about last week. Cul-de-sacs, meaning a street that comes off of the main street, but dead ends. Right? Not mefulash. Doesn't go all the way through. Ervu mutarin, lo ervu asurin. If they make an eruv, they can carry. If they didn't make an eruv, they can't carry. Very simple. So that means that if you have, for instance, um, Tali, I hope you pol- I'll apologize in advance, but if everybody else recognizes it, Think about Doheny, south of Cascio. You guys know what I'm talking about? Doheny, south of Cascio. All right. You go to Cascio and Doheny, and then you walk down. Oh. You got a Narrow. cul-de-sac. Narrow cul-de-sac. That's absolute cul-de-sac, right? That's a mavuisha and a mafulash. It doesn't go all the way through. Okay. Right? So now, you have that. If they make an Eruv on that block, then they can carry. If they don't, they, they, they can't. That's the statement from the Tosefta. Okay, good. So it sounds at this point, and don't hang up now, it sounds at this point as if the only place that an Eruv will work is a not Rishut Arabim, and that is this cul-de-sac type area. And there, if you make an Eruv, you can carry. What does this have to do with West LA or Kew Garden Hills? Right, that's our problem. Okay, but... There's a whole lot more going on, and that's why we're just getting started. Okay. The Bavli in Masachat Shabbat, we have about four passages from the Bavli we have to look at. The Bavli asks the question about this Tosefta, quotes this Tosefta, and it lists in Rishut, you know, the Tosefta and Rishut Rabim listed streets and plazas, right? The Gemara asks, Why didn't they count the desert as Rishut Rabim? Now, I'm going to ask you right now, and I haven't, I haven't, I haven't muted anybody. I'm going to ask you right now, wh- why would the Midbar be Rashut Arabim, and why would the Midbar not be Rashut Arabim? And think, um, for us in LA, it's very easy. Think the Upper Mojave, think past Palmdale, right? And in New York, just think about New Jersey. <laughs> Sorry. Um, just had to get that in. Um, you know, think about uh, Western Jersey. There's certain areas there, right? Okay. But in LA, it's easy to picture. Why would the Upper Mojave be a Rashut Rabim, and why would it not be? No, what do you think? 
Well, anybody, nobody, it's open. It's, wouldn't that be a Carmelite? I don't, well, I know. I'm, I'm asking why would it be Rashid Rabin and why wouldn't it be Rashid Rabin? Well, there's an implication that uh, certain people are moving along, like in a, in a uh, Carmelite, they're moving along. And here they're not in the desert, people generally aren't moving. You mean because they're dead? No, because there's no third, there's no highway. There's no highway. Um, stop there, saying. Stop there, is saying. The, there is the 14, but okay. But, <laughs> but why would it and why would it not be? So I'll, I'll just present the arguments. Well, it, 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 there's an end to it too. It's a place and you're, you reach the end of the Mojave. Right. And everything in the world has an end like that. But, but your, your first address would be, look, it's an open area that anybody can go to. It's totally available to anybody. It's not owned by anybody. has no walls around it. On the other hand, I can say what Sherwin said, which is, but nobody's there. Nobody's there. I, myself, and I'm sure you've all had this experience, have driven through the Mojave and seen nobody on the road. Right? Well, why does that make it a, a Yachid? Why did that make it? I didn't say Yachid. I didn't say Yachid. Oh. I said, is it a Rashid Rabim or not a Rashid Rabim? Okay. Right? So why would it be Rashid Rabim? It's a public area. Why is it not a Rashid Why would it not be a Rashid Rabim? Nobody's there. There's no Rabim there. Which means, really, you're now going to get into a very tight definition of what is Rashut Harabim. Does Rabim mean many people are there, or does Rabim mean it's accessible to everybody? Two very different definitions. All right. So now, watch this. The Gemara asks, "Velach shov nami Why don't you count the desert? Why would I count the desert? The Hatanya, because we have a Breita. Not our Tosefta, but an awful lot like it. I'm reading in source three. Sratia or Platia Gdola, we read those already. we read that. Veha Mid Bar. So we have another Braita that lists the same list as we have and adds the desert into the list of Rishutarabim. So Amar Abaye, Abaye gives an answer, Lokashi says there's no contradiction between our Braita that left out the desert. And the other Brita that included the desert, Khan Bizman Shisrael Shreen Bamibar, Khan Bizman Hazeh. Abaya simply says, when we were camped as a nation in the desert, then the Midbar was Rishutar Abim. Now I'm going to put a little fine twist on that. The whole Midbar was not Rishutar Abim, just where we were. In other words, Am Yisrael takes up. 12 square miles, we'll call it. Right? I'm picking the rabbinic uh, midrash, right? 12 square miles, right? Fine. So those 12 square miles camped in uh, Midbar Sinai for almost a year. That's Rishut Rabim. But Midbar Paran right now is not. A month later, when we moved to Midbar Paran, that's Rishut Rabim, and Midbar Sinai isn't anymore, etc. And it's, it would move with us. I don't think there's anybody suggesting that the entire desert from the Nile to, to, uh, to Israel, to the Jordan, is all Rishut Rabim as long as we're somewhere in the desert. I don't think I'm suggesting it. Okay. So that means that what makes it Rishut Rabim is not Rabim having access, but Rabim being there, right? Okay. Tosfot here says something which opens the door, the pun is intended, 
opens the door to Eruv, to Eruvin in our cities. Because the cities that everybody in this year lives in have way more uh, uh, people in them than we're not living in a tiny little hamlet, right? We have Eruvin. Okay. How long the uh, Rebbe Naftali? How long has the Eruv been up in Kiryat Hills? Decades, right? At least uh, I married in seven, probably almost uh, forty years. Yeah. Okay. Right. Okay. So watch what Tosot says here. Kaim bizman Yisrael shurin v'amidbar mashma ktsat. It sounds a little bit like the ena reshut rabim. This is, by the way, this is the opening right here. Ella in Cain Mitsuyin Sham Shishim Rebo Kamobamibar. Tosav says it sounds a little bit as if it's not considered Rishut Rabim unless we have 600,000 people like in the desert. Okay. Now well, that's that, a, that's that sounds, quarter, yeah, go that's ahead. That's the corner of the 10, the 10 and the 405 freeway. Uh, um, it, it, yeah, uh, it actually, the 405 and 101 used to be, used to be like that. Yeah. Now, you raise an interesting question, Sherwin, which is, do people in cars count? Maybe it has to be, because in the desert, they weren't in cars, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. So that, that, that's another problem. By the way, that's, a, that's an extremely hot-button topic in the world of modern Eruvin, of counting people in cars. Mm. But Tosud here says, this, the starting point, is that it may be the case that you don't call it a Rishut Rabim if there's less than 600,000 people. Now, by the way, where do you get 600,000 from? The, uh, the census of uh, B'nai Israel. Right, except that that's not accurate. You would have to have 600,000 men, men yeah. of fighting yeah. age, which means you can't, mean, it means that you'd have to have a, uh, an area where there's that many. Now, by the way, that many people doing what? That many people walking there? That many people living there? That many people who sleep there at night? How are you defining being there? Collecting mon. Say again? That many people collecting mon there. Okay, could be that many <laughs> people collecting mon. Okay, could be a, could be a credit thing. There's, there's, also, there's also the day before women drivers. So that, that worked out all right. Yeah, okay. Well, not far from Saudi Arabia. That's good. So, so keep that in mind. And we got some more sources to juggle. The Gemara, a little bit earlier in the first parak of Shabbat, says, This goes back to Rav. That's the key word here, patur, which means if you carry something for a moat, by the way, you pick something up on a, on a, a guaranteed, agreed upon Rashut Rabim. I think we all agree that Times Square is. I think so. You pick up a, uh, a box in the, on the 42nd and uh, at Broadway and you walk down to Herald Square, you're chayab, no question. You carried way more than dollar amount. You carried eight blocks in, in, uh, in the middle of Manhattan, okay? But if the area that you were walking was entirely roofed, like let's say that uh, because of the weather and some sort of an event, they'd put one of those uh, tents that we now see many of with our outdoor mignonim, they put a tent and you walked underneath the tent on Broadway, but underneath a tent cover, the whole way you're patur. Why are you patur? Because in the desert, when Bnei Yisrael marched, they marched without a cover. 
They lived in tents, but they marched without a cover. Now, this is a strange statement to say that the definition of caring is to be to carry something in a way that's similar to the way they went in the desert. And by the way, now you see Tosfot is not on shaky ground when they're making their claim that maybe you need 600,000 people because here in a different place, the Gemara says, to be chayab for caring, you have to do it in a way that's similar to the Midbar. You have to be in a similar situation. Now, I'm going to take you to where this all seems to start from. And really, this is going to take us back to the core issues of Shabbat, and then we're going to go forward. Okay, so this is, normally I would go straight to the yellow here, but this is such an essential piece. Uh, it's in the, uh, in the very short uh, fourth parak of Shabbat, Vametomnin. This is after they're asking questions about other things related to Shabbat. They ask the following. Hadidnan is source six. Avot melachot arbaim chaserachat keneged mi. Why are the 39 melachot? Now, by the way, keneged mi is one of those questions like, keneged mi, do we have 18 brachot in Shmon Esrei? Keneged mi, um, do we have uh, seven brachot on, on Shabbat, etc. And tefillah. It, it makes it sound like, look, we all know what's asur, but why do we make 39 categories? As opposed to 43 categories or 26 categories. So Avodot Tamishkan, that there's 39 different kinds of things that were done in in preparing the Mishkan, including taking uh, the spices and grinding them in order to make the Shemen Hamishcha. So grinding is a malacha, and including tying down the curtains. Right, so as an example, we're cooking the Shemana Mishcha, Rabishu. Okay, I'm Rabbi Yonatan, Rabbi Lezer, Kacham Rabbi Shun, Rabbi Yosi, Ben Lakunya, Kenegan Malacham, Malachton, Malachet, Shabbat Torah, Arbaim Chaserachat. He said, No, the Torah simply uses the word Malacha in one form or another 39 times. And then they get into an interesting discussion about whether this particular mention should count and that particular mention should count. Not our concern. Now, Go down to the yellow and the beginning of the line that's got the yellow in it. Tanya Kamanda Mar Kenegar Avodotamishkan. I'm doing this just because of, of time. We have a brighter that supports the position that the that the Malachot correspond. By the way, we all grew up with this, our mother's milk. There's a Malachot, they're all based on the Mishkan. But here you see mm -hmm. that there's a machloket about it. And here we have a brighter to support the position that we all believe is the position. Which is that it corresponds to the uh, to the melachot hamishkan, and what's that? The Tanya. We have a right that says you're only chayav if you did it as something that's a similar melacha was in the mishkan. And what's the example? Heim zaru. They planted in order to plant the kind of plants that would then be the the spices that they would grind to make the toret and etc. Right. Therefore, you can't you can't sow, plant. Heim katsru, they harvested. Okay, so basically, we're saying that the list of things that are the avot malachot are all patterned after things that were done during the week, not on Shabbat, when preparing for the mishkan, when building the mishkan. They had to plant all sorts of things. They had to tie things. They had to weave things. Right. They had to cook things. All these things are part of it. So that's what we're not allowed to do on Shabbat. OK. Uh, Rav Hirsch has an, a beautiful word at the beginning of, of his comment in Vayakel about that. I'll just quickly mention it because it's just so gorgeous. He says, 
that you cannot imagine a more beautiful enterprise to be involved with than to build a house for God, to build a place where God's going to make his presence felt. And yet you cease even that for Shabbat. Shows you how powerful Shabbat is, right? Okay. Um, and then in the, in the blue inside the yellow, here we go. Mikarkala agala, the Levim, when moving, when moving from place to place, they had six wagons. Right? Bnei Gershon had two, Bnei Mary had four. They had six wagons, and they would lift up the boards, the boards of the Mishkan, the Krashim, from the ground to the wagon. And to put it on, then move it. Now on Shabbat. Unless they were moving on Shabbat. If the cloud moved, that was it. Notice the parallel. They would pick the boards up from the ground and put them on the wagon. You, in corresponding to that, should not carry from the public area to the private. And then, when they arrived, they would take the boards down from the wagon to the ground. You shouldn't carry from the private to the public. So in this analogy, what's the private area? The wagon. And what's the public area? The ground. Why is that? Because the wagons were 10 tfachim high and 4 tfachim wide. Makes it Rishut HaYachid. And the, oh, ground, okay. and the ground is part of the public area, so that's Rishut Arbim. Why is it Rishut Arbim? Because everybody's there. And everybody's there means here 600,000. But then again, you put a problem. 600,000 or 67,000 men of fighting age. And they, by the way, passed the, the, the uh, boards from wagon to wagon. So you don't carry from one private area to another private area. The Gemara deals with that problem. I'm not going to get into those details right now. But you notice that, the, that this bright up aligns Rishut Ha'achid with the wagon and Rishut Ha'abim with the ground around where they were in the desert. So the desert is a Rishut Ha'abim slam dunk. So how could the desert not be? The answer is the desert is not a Rishut Ha'abim today. Nobody's there. That's why it's a desert. That's why you use the word deserted. Right? So we're going to see a couple more sources in the Gemara to give us the whole picture. And then we're going to get into the more practical aspects. Um, the 11th parak of Shabbat deals with caring again, again. And it's parak has about if you throw things from one area to another, if you hand things in the air high up, like from one balcony to another, all of those, uh, all of those off carings. I won't say unusual, but off carings. So then they ask the question, after all, throwing is a subset of where does it say anything about caring in the Torah? Now, this is an odd question, isn't it? Because they don't say, where does it say that you can't, can't cook? Where does it say you can't tie a knot? Where does it say that you can't um, flay an animal? Because I told you last week, caring is such a difficult uh, malachah to explain and to defend. <laughs> malachah grua, 
that we want to find a pasuk to support it. And what's the source? Now I can go to the top of the page. Okay, where is this pasuk? This pasuk is in Bayakel. Remember what happened. Moshe was on top of our Sinai, got all the commands of the Mishkan, came down and found, whoops, Egel. So there's a whole long process when we finish that whole Egel thing. So people die, some tablets are broken. Okay, fine. And then we are now restored and now it's time to actually build the Mishkan. So Moshe gathers them and tells them to build the Mishkan. By the way, he prefaces it with Shabbat and then tells them all the things they got to do for the Mishkan and Betzalel and Oholiyav are in charge, et cetera, et cetera, all beautiful. And people start bringing, it's, it's the most amazing fundraising effort in history and nobody has been able to replicate it. And, um, and people are bringing gold and silver and everything they can until finally Moshe has to say the one word that no fundraiser will ever be heard saying, which is? <laughs> Enough. No. Shane. Right? Enough. But Moshe does that. So Moshe says, announce the word. This doesn't mean doing work. It means actually bringing gifts. Nobody should bring any more. They stop bringing it. Now, that has nothing to do with Shabbat on the face of it. Watch what the Gemara does. They quote the Pasuk, and they say, and later on, they, they midrashically define this as taking place on Shabbat. And they say, Moshe hechan hu yativ. Where was Avi Yativ? Where was Moshe? Now, by the way, this is going to be very important for the Rucha Shulchan that we're going to see later, or I can see my clock. Even this may take two weeks. Moshe hechan Where was Moshe sitting? The Machane Leviyah. Now, remember the structure of the camp. You have the large camp, which has four corners to it, and each corner or four parts of the diamond, however you want to see it, the Machloket, which has Machane Yehuda and Machane Ruvain, Machane Ephraim and Machane Dan. And in the middle, you have Machane Leviyah, all around the Mishkan Machane Shechina. Right? That's the setup. Moshe is in Machane Leviyah, and he's telling people not to bring from their tents, or their, assume their tents, to him, to not bring it. Gemara assumes, and it's a longer uh, discussion in the Gemara, that this happens on Shabbat, and the reason he's telling them not to bring is because everything came enough, and now don't carry on Shabbat. Moshe Haichan Havayati, where was Moshe sitting? In the Levite camp. Why was the Machane Leviyah Rishut Rabim? Because everybody's coming in and out. Everybody's coming to get close to the Mishkan. Everybody's coming to bring gifts and everybody's coming to visit Moshe and ask him questions or whatever. Public area. Okay. <coughs> Notice they're not making any de demands on numbers here. The Levim themselves are 22,000. So what's Moshe saying? Don't bring it from your private Rishut to my Rishut It's almost as if Moshe is out in the street and he's telling people in their apartments, don't bring stuff out to me, except for a problem. Where is he telling them not to bring it from? In your area, yeah. my area, which makes it sound like Machane Dan Rishut Right? We're going to see more of this later. But this is what the Gemara says. Okay. Now, another definitional piece in source eight. 
So the Gemara tells us that we have it axiomatically that Rishut Abim is 16 Amot wide or more. 16 Amot, we're going to call that about 24, uh, 24 feet or more, at least. So how, how wide is 24 feet? Are our side streets 24 feet wide? What do you think? Side street? No. Side street. What do you think? Is Glenville 24 feet wide? I don't mean that from apartment to apartment. I mean from curb to curb. Sherwin is Guthrie 24 feet wide from curb to curb? Yeah. Naftali, what street do you live? By us, they're anywhere between 16 and 20 feet. Depends so, where you are. And that's road, drive, and Avenue Street and Avenue and all those. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, Okay, so Nigel, what do you think Durango is? I don't think it's, uh, I think it's larger than that, frankly. If the width of a car is four feet and you have two cars parked and two cars passing, that's 16. Right, and as you know, two cars parked and two cars passing is a tight fit on yeah. our streets, on our streets. Yes. Yeah, right. Now, we'll all agree that Pico, Olympic, Wilshire, those are all way more than 24 feet wide. Anything that has two lanes in each direction is 24 feet wide or more, right? We all agree. But notice, here's another definitional piece, which by the way means all these definitions are necessary. So if you don't have 16, um, 16 um, wide, it's not a restrictive amount of care. How many people are going there? That's okay. So that's a, another piece of the puzzle. All right. Where did we learn that from? We learned it from the Mishkan. Why? How? Big is the Mishkan, the Mishkan itself, the tent, not the whole courtyard, the tent. Remember, there's a courtyard, and inside the courtyard, there's a tent. And inside the tent, there's the Kodesh Kedoshim. The Kodesh Kedoshim is 10 by 10, right? Okay. And the Kodesh is 20 by 10. Okay, so the Mishkan is 30 by 10. But there's side pieces there, so they say that... Um, the Mishkan Chamesar Have, Have, it was 15 amot wide. Amta Yetera Have, the Have Kai Ben Levi, Mishtafi Krashim Aminakit Lu. There was another Amah on the side that when you're taking the Krashim off, he'll be there to grab it. Okay. It sounds like a weak inference, but I'm not concerned with that. They're saying 16 amot, and again, they're coming back to the Mishkan for the source. Okay. Now, we have a bizarre piece at the beginning of Eruvim. Tanur Rabbanan. Ketsan me'arvin derech reshut harabim. You hear that word? How do you make an Eruv on a public area, a public road? And the answer is, Oset surat ha-petach mikan, v'lechid v'korah mikan, Chanan yomer b'chamein This is a famous thing. Chanan says that it's machloka b'chamein hillel, etc. Now, look at Rashi here. Source 10. Reshut harabim. Mashma Rachav Sheshis Rama. So Rashi says, What's a Rishut Rabim? First of all, 16 Amot wide. Ve'ir Shemitsuyin Bashishim Ribo. Look what Rashi says. Rashi on his own says, A city where 600,000 people live. Notice he doesn't talk about walking, he doesn't talk about them passing that area, but it's a city where 600,000 people live. Right? And then he says, Ve'in Bachumat. And it's also a city without a wall. 
Here's another one. Notice Rashi says it has to be like the desert experience to be Rishut Rabim. And you're going to wonder why is it that 40 minutes into this year and almost 45 and we're still not at Eruvin because remember the whole issue is you cannot make an Eruv where there's Rishut Rabim. So remember the guy we started the whole story, the whole shear with? There's a guy who says, I don't, I don't think you guys are wrong. I don't think that you're bad. I don't think your rabbi is untrustworthy or anything else, but I don't care because I hold a different definition of Rishut Rabim. So what definition might he hold? We're going to see that in before before in Shir tonight. We'll definitely see that near Tzashem. All right. But notice that Rashi here says, what's a Rishut Rabim? Either it is 16 amot wide and there's 600,000 people living in it. There's no wall around it. Or there is a public thoroughfare that goes from gate to gate all the way through, just like the desert, just like the experience in the desert of B'nai Israel. That's Rashi. Okay? So at this point, it sounds like a Rishut Rabim is defined by width, by accessibility and accessing, and potentially by a minimum number of people either living in that town or passing on that road on some sort of basis, daily, yearly, we don't know. Okay, that sounds like it. And suddenly we open up source 11 and we're in for a surprise. Source 11 is the Rambam. No surprise there. Here's the surprise. Ezer Rishut Rabim, the Rambam defines what's Rishut Rabim, Midbarot, which the commentaries all jump on that. Ya'arim, forests, also strange. Ushvakim, Shvakim is not strange, that's marketplaces. Udrachimam Fulashin Lan, and all paths that go through them, meaning they're open, they're not cul-de-sacs. As long as it's 16 amount wide and not roofed. Remember, we saw about roofed. What does the Rambam leave out? And by the way, you can check it yourself, read through the entire Hilchot Shabbat if you want. The Rambam at no point makes any mention about a minimum population. Which means according to the Rambam, what do you do with West LA? You don't worry about the 600,000. <laughs> and therefore, how do you define West LA? How do you find the area? Between, By the area, call it, the area of the... Wilshire to National, uh, La Cienega to, to, to Posepulveda. What would you call that? Well, the closest thing, the closest thing is Shvakim. I mean, it's not a forest. It's not a. It's not a midbar. Right, but what is it certainly? Meaning, not all of it, but No, agreed. But what would you? Okay, according to the Rambam, what would you call Wilshire Boulevard? Shusharim. without a question. Way more than 16 amount wide. It's the public thoroughfare, it's marketplace, whatever you want to call it, it certainly is. Now, you could say, fine, so I'll make an A roof from uh, Charleville to Gregory. Those are streets between Wilshire and Olympic. That'd be fine. But the minute that your A roof includes Wilshire, what happens? The whole thing is scotched. See the problem? So if you want to say, and by the way, people do this, people will make an A roof in an internal area. Like they like uh, from Alcott to uh, to Airdrome, right? In the old days, I think people used to do that. They say because I don't want to include Pico in my air because that's according to the Rabbi Mitzvah Shutar Abim. But Alcott's mm -hmm. not. Maybe, maybe Cashio's not. 
You ever try to pass another car in Cashew and cars are parked, right? So you could say that now oh, maybe they're too small and maybe it's neighborhoody and maybe it's not markety and so like that. Okay. Here comes the tour. All right, the tour, 13th century Spain tour. All right. Rashut Rabim, who Rechovot Ushvakim, a Rechavim Tadzainamal Tadzainama, Umefulashim Mishar Lashar. So the, the tour does not give this as an alternative like the like Rashi did. He says these are all necessary conditions. It has to be 16 amount wide. It has to go from gate to gate <clears> of <throat> the city, or should we call it end to end? By the way, do we have anything like that in LA? Any street that goes from end to end in LA? Western yeah. Avenue. Western Avenue does not. Goes. It dead ends at Los Feliz. I bike. I thought I went to Mulholland. No, Western Avenue oh, okay. dead ends at All Los right. Feliz. All right, you go up Western and then you turn right and you're on Los Feliz. It's a nice bike ride, but it doesn't get there. It does go all the way down to Long Beach, right? Mm. But the closest you'll get will be Wilshire. Wilshire goes all the way to the beach and all the way to downtown, but that's about it. I think the longest street I heard is either Figueroa or Sunset. I think it's Sunset, and Sunset yep. goes to the beach and will end up somewhere near Dodger Stadium there, but that's it. It doesn't go all the way to whatever the end is, and by the way, LA doesn't end. It ends somewhere in Utah. Right? <laughs> but now, in Manhattan, you have such a street. Right? We all know it. There's only one street that fits that, and that's called Broadway. All right? Yep. Broadway does go from the Bronx all the way to the to the Battery. All right? So fine. But remember, the, the tour is calling that uh, a necessary condition for Shuta Adim. Goes from one edge of the city to the other, which, by the way, means the bigger the city, the less chance of Rishut Arbim. Right? Because I've been to towns where there's one street that goes from one end of the town to the other, and it's got one stoplight and a cop waiting for you to go 36 miles an hour. Right? We all know those. So, so according to the tour, are you saying that Wilshire is not Rishut Arbim? Oh yeah, I'm, I'm saying that. And by the way, okay. I'm not done because look what the what the what else the tour said. Notice what the tour does. It says 600,000 people pass on it. Not like Raji said, 600,000 people live in the city. 600,000 people pass on this road. Which, by the way... In what period of time? Exactly. Oh, well, that's, that's another problem. But, but we would assume that he's talking about 600,000 different people. You know, if you want to count how many people go over the bridge every week, well... Most of them have gone over five times. No, they, they mm -hmm. don't go in once. Most of them are people who come in every day, right? Some of them multiple times, like uh, <laughs> Uber and stuff. So that's it's unfair to count them that way. Sorry. Um, so you're right. That's and and by the way, we're going to see in the Shulchan Aruch even a tighter definition that's going to help us with that. But you realize, I do not know if in the tour's time such towns existed. I don't know. I don't know. In the Roman Empire, was Rome maybe a town like that? Alexandria was probably a town like that. But how many can you? How many do you have? Mm -hmm. Now look at the Shulchan Aruch in source thirteen. Basically, like the Rambam, 
Even if there's a wall around the city, if the road goes from gate to gate, I want you to picture if there was a road that went from Shar Yafo all the way to Shar Hashpot. Oh, there is. Yeah, the Cardo. What? The Cardo. Well, the Cardo is... is... They, they, disco they discovered that gate off of Shah, off of Shah Hashpot. Right. And it goes all the way up. Right, the problem is the cardo doesn't go all the way to Shariafa, it goes to the side road, you know, the driving road. But all right, fine. But if but in Shar Lashar, you'd be better off with Shar Shem to Shar Ashpot, and you sort of have that, but it's not exactly a big road. You know, that when you no, go to the Muslim quarter. But watch Shash, this. Shash the has, has an underground yeah under the Shem, as we know it, there's an underground gate. That's not gonna help us today, though. The no, but that, 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 that was the length of the car, though. The car right. ended there. Yeah, but that wouldn't help us. That wouldn't affect us today. The fact that there's not. Yeah, no, no, I'm familiar. The So the tour, he, he quotes the tour elsewhere, who says, as long as the city isn't locked up at night, if the city's locked up at night, then it's not really Mefulash. Mefulash now means it goes through from outside to the outside on the other side. You understand how they're limiting Rashid Rabin? Anywhere where 600,000 people are not going through every day is not Rishut Rabim. That's the Shulchan Aruch. But he says, some say, Yesh Omrim. Right? And, uh, and, and then he points out something else that the Ramam also said. Let's say I have a street that's 16 feet wide. When we cut stream Satan at one particular because you know we have streets that are fairly well laid out. I mean, they're not wide enough, but they're laid out. But in those days, you had, I mean, streets were just, you know, dirt that was moved to the side. Um, and uh, and wasn't very well engineered. Satan. At some points they get a little bit smaller. So some people will say, so if you have a road that's 16 foot wide, but sometimes it gets a little bit narrower than that, some people will say that if they go parallel to the actual Rishut Rabim, then they're called Rishut Rabim. Okay. But you notice here that, that since the Gemara, there's been, in, in some Rishonim, only some, not the Rambam, there's been an added series of definitions to Rishut Rabim that make it harder to make a Rishut Rabim, which makes it a lot easier to make an Eru. Now I'm going to show you what we have coming up next week. I'm going to, I'm going to bring it to a close because I don't think you guys want to leave this hanging. Um, I have here that the Taz who just kind of quote, kind of makes a, a almost a census uh, of of those authorities who think 600,000 is an issue and those who think it's not, and it's an important census to see. A small quote from the Mishtabura, and then we've got this Aruch HaShulchan. Now, I know it looks like a lot. The reason it looks like a lot is because it's a lot. But this Aruch HaShulchan is critical. <laughs> the Aruch HaShulchan, Michael Michael Epstein, the Rosh Hashim and Navardic, um, died in the early 20th century. Um, what is, is considered, it's important to note, is considered to be, um, you know, the, the, the Mishtabura is a very popular 20th century book of Psak. However, in the yeshivot, the Yorcha Shulchan is, is far more highly regarded. 
And the reason is because he lays down, he lays out the sugya, he lays out the thinking, he lays out the positions that we've shown him, and then he he goes through and he and he also deals with a lot of contemporary things, as does the Mishnah They're both amazing works. We're going to look at the at the because he comes up with an ingenious and innovative approach to understanding Rishut Rabim, which um, he himself will admit is there to justify the fact that all the cities in Europe had Eruvin. They all had Eruvin. And now, you know, you ask, you think about it, when, when, when a, a city wants to make itself attractive, you know, till COVID hit, over the past 10 years, there was a concerted move by all sorts of cities, Memphis, Cincinnati, uh, Columbus, um, all sorts of other places like that, that had a very small Jewish community and an aging one to uh, attract young Jewish couples. Um, Dallas, to a little while earlier, to attract young Jewish couples. And the reason, of course, is they want to build up the community. And what did they have to offer them? There had to be a mikvah, no question. Right? Well, there probably had to be a pizza shop. Yeah. What else? Good school. School and an A-roof. And it wasn't going to start without an A-roof. These, these communities could not start their pitch. And by the way, some of these are, are national pitches with Shabbatonim, where we'll fly you out and we'll introduce you to headhunters and we'll enjoy, I'm serious, introduce you to real estate agents. And there's a special deal with the schools and the schools here are much cheaper than they are in New York where you're living right now or LA where you're living right now. And it's understandable. Without an A-roof, the discussion doesn't start. Hmm. Because who wants to move somewhere and then start a family and then be locked into your house and not be able to take a walk with a stroller on Shabbos, as an example? That's kind of where it starts. Eruvin are built in to Jewish life, right? So they, this Aruch HaShulchan is critical for understanding that. So that's what we're going to look at next week, Emir Tashem. And I think we'll continue through as long as Eruvin is still our, our Masachet that we're working with. We'll keep looking at some practical issues relating to Eruvin. Okay? Good. So okay. does this have anything to do with what we're studying right now? Sure. What we're learning in the Dath because it seems like the modern era of what we're talking about here has nothing to do with... with well, um, good point. So it, it does, because first of all, all the principles start there, okay. right? Um, including the principle in, in the important things, which I was going to get to, but now it'll be maybe in the middle of next week or else the week afterwards, which is the issue of, which is where I started this whole thing from, Hadar im Hagoi b'chatzer. If you have a non-Jew living in your chatzer, how do you make an Eru? And that, of course, becomes a problem when our chatzer covers all of West L.A. And as far as I've heard, there's one or two non-Jews living in West L.A., right? <laughs> so how do we deal with that, right? That's kind of the starting point. But I move this totally into the practical area, which covers Sugyot all through Eruven, right? One, how did one ascertain the number 600,000 traversing that area? Yeah, good question. So first of all, traversing it, how often? And what if there are people who work in an area, picture now Midtown Manhattan, people who work in an area, the average person who works in that area walks, let's say they, let's say their job, their work is um, on uh, Mamash Midtown, 5th and 34th. They will be walking on 34th Avenue probably six times during the day. One time when they walk to work and then one time when they leave work to go to lunch, and then when they leave lunch to come back to the office and then they go out for a meeting and then they come back and then they go to, back to the subway or wherever they, however they're going home. 
right? Or they're going to go to the local Mincha uh, Minyan at two o'clock, right? Which is all over Manhattan. I mean, today it's all weird, but in general. So do we count that as six or do we count that as one? And these are all good questions. Okay, we'll pick it up next week and everybody stay healthy.